Hi, my name is Molly Schulte Tucker, and I have the privilege of pastoring the good people of Ridgewood Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. In the fall of 2023, we have been exploring the makings of worship with our series Liturgy, a word that literally means the work of the people. Over the course of five weeks, we'll explore the purpose of worship, the space in which we worship and its evolution to today, the community that gathers to worship, the time we set aside to worship, and the theology and therapeutic effects of music to our community and our soul. Today's scripture comes from the book of Numbers, which I know you probably spend a lot of time in, but a familiar passage nonetheless, number 6, 24 through 26. Some of these words we echo each Sunday in our benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. We are in the first week kicking off a series called Liturgy. Liturgy and its Greek origins literally means the work of the people. It's what we do when we sing together, pray together here in worship on Sunday. And a lot of times we gather here, but we don't exactly know why we're here, or it, it might be because it's habit at some point. So before we go any further, I want to give you 60 seconds to write down on your bulletin or something near you, what are the worst reasons to come to worship on Sunday mornings? Take a minute, write down as many as you can think of, what are the worst reasons to come to worship on Sunday mornings. Think of those worst reasons. I'm going to make sure my microphone is on. Anyway, it's interesting what? <laughs> All right, we've got to hear him. What are the worst reasons to come to worship on Sunday morning? Kevin raised his hand. I got to call on Kevin. 
I lean, but I lean going like this. So I'm, <laughs> go ahead, Kevin. To cuss out the pastor. That's a, that's a terrible reason to come to the church. Carl. Ooh, Emma, that's deep. To look good for other people. Mmm, that's good. <laughs> Rosalind, what do you have? To mock the pastor. To mock the pastor? Why does it have to do with the pastor all of a sudden? Others, Diana. Out of guilt. Cecil. To pretend you're better than others. Others? You're forced. <laughs> That's fair. Cooper's somewhere up in the nursery, isn't he? Yeah. Others? The worst reasons. You want people to think well of you. Mm. I think I saw Judith's hand up. Obligation. Rebecca. Free child care. Someone had to say it. <laughs> That's so great. There are a lot of terrible reasons to come to church on a Sunday morning. And chances are, if you're a human being, at some point, for some reason, you have come in the doors because of one or more of those reasons. Some of you are probably talking about someone else in the room or someone else in some other room, right? I'm wondering though, let's flip that on its head. What are the best reasons to come to worship on Sunday morning? Take about, take another minute. The best reasons to come to worship on Sunday morning. I'll say free childcare this time, okay. Take 60 seconds, best reasons. What are the best reasons to come to worship on a Sunday morning? It's not to cuss out the pastor. Kevin, don't raise your hand. Not the best reason. <laughs> Judith. Expand your knowledge. Alice. Say that again. To actually be able to worship God. Others? Ooh, Rebecca. Community. To show God that you love him. Good job, Emma. Jim. Also see your friends that you have 
to see your friends you haven't seen all week. Jim and I get to see each other during the week, though, so. To have coffee with the pastors. That's a lot better. <laughs> I saw Diana. To fellowship with other believers, Miss Peggy. To sing praise, Cecil. Spiritual refill, Emerson. Because therapy is too expensive, so we can heal here. Eileen. Bible study. We read the Bible sometimes. Yeah. Rosalind, one more. Being excited for youth group, a great reason to come to church. The truth is, when you woke up this morning and showered or didn't, put on clothes and decided to come to church, you had an expectation for what was going to happen when you walked into this room or your Bible study room or your youth group room or your godly playroom. You had some kind of expectation for what you would experience today. Maybe because it's about what you believe about church. Maybe because it's what you believe about worship. Maybe because it's what you believe about God. But the truth is, we all have expectations of worship. We all have different narratives fed by different experiences of being in a sanctuary or an auditorium or around a campfire or in a taze service or in a concert of what worship can look and sound and feel like. What is the purpose of what we do here? Why do we worship? You could go with Anglican priest and theologian William Temple. He says, worship is the submission of our all to the nature of God. To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. Ooh, that's good, isn't it? Or you could, you could go by mystic and poet of the early 20th century, Evelyn Underhill, who said, Christian worship is the response of the creature to the eternal. Or maybe you like organist and composer Harold Best, who said, worship is an expression of insufficiency. Or maybe you like Father Richard Rohr, who in his book, The Divine Dance, that we're starting on Wednesday, a Franciscan priest, he says, our speaking of God is a search for similes and analogies and metaphors, and we must absolutely must maintain a fundamental humility before the great mystery. That's how Father Richard Rohr refers to God, the great mystery. If we do not, religion worships itself and its formulation and never God. Or we could listen to Shane Claiborne and Jonathan Wilson Hargrove in their book, Common Prayer, a Liturgy for Ordinary Radicals, when they say that liturgy protects us from making worship into a self-pleasing act. 
When you read theologians who deal with liturgics or worship, all of them at some point or another in their writing will express the idea that in worship, we remember who we are and we remember who God is. And we have to grapple with that back and forth. Or sometimes it's making less of ourselves to remember who God is. There is a realization, even sometimes an internal battle, as we come to a time when it is not about how great we are or how knowledgeable we are or how talented we are, but about how great God is. It is not about what we can control. It is about that we are created by the divine. It is not necessarily each individual story that we can tell, but it's that we are all grafted into this cosmic, eternal story of redemption for all life through the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the world that doesn't let us stagnate into thinking we know it all. The truth is... When we come to worship, wherever you worship, no matter which theologian you read, we come to realize that God is God and we are not. We do not choose what worship style pleases God. We choose what worship style pleases us. We do not choose what instruments please God. Did you know that? We choose what instruments please us. We do not choose God's preferences for worship. We choose our own. In a community of worship, more so than just our individual self, we find a space to reorient ourselves to God, to one another, and to the creation knowing how we express worship may look different than who sits next to us or across town from us. So what does it mean to a church? It can mean something to you individually, but worship to a church. I've got one more. Reverend Dr. Wallace Horton, a Lutheran minister, he says a phrase I love. He says, worship is the heartbeat of the church. Can you find your pulse? Try it. If you don't have one, we have a problem. Can you find it? Can you feel your heartbeat? Every time your heart beats, according to the Cleveland Clinic. <laughs> it squeezes and propels blood through the network of arteries in your body. Your pulse is the pressure in your arteries going up briefly as your heart pushes out more blood to keep circulation going. Between beats, your heart relaxes for just a brief second 
which brings the pressure back down. But each heartbeat is like a single push rather than a consistent flow of what feels like water through a hose. Each heartbeat is a push, pushing blood from your heart, pushing, pushing oxygen through your body. For one more minute, we won't share this out loud. If worship is our heartbeat, what does that mean for you? If worship as a community is our heartbeat, pushing into those outer arteries and body parts, what is worship to you?